All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, want to welcome all our Faith Church family. It's great to have you all here in Florence. Can we give it up for our Lawrenceburg Faith family? It's good to have you guys there. And uh, for all of our guests, first-time visitors, man, it's great to have you in the house. Our desire is for all of us, whether you have been here a thousand times or this is your first, that you will have a radical encounter with God's grace. Man, we have a, a hashtag here, hashtag life change happens here. We believe that. We believe that God can change and transform any life, no matter where you've been, what you've been through. So open up your heart today. Let God do something big in you. One more time, can we give God our best praise? Come on, everybody. So real quick, that RC race. Wow. I mean, I think it just validated that truly women are better drivers than men because that was horrible. Holy cow, men, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. But a lot of fun, man, just some elements that make this series that we do every year entitled God at the Box Office just a little more fun. This series ultimately is because everybody loves a good movie, right? We all love to catch a good movie, whether it's in the theater or on Netflix or wherever we watch. There's a reason, right? Some movies, they, they inspire emotions in us. Sometimes it's an emotional, like a lot of us here, we like comedies, we like to laugh. Some of us like a shock or a scare. I posted a thing uh, yesterday on Facebook um, just asking about the saddest movie moment. For me, the saddest movie, movie moment I could remember when I posted it was when I was a kid and I remember Ricky Schroeder, some of you right as a little kid, when Champ died, when the boxer died. It's an old movie. When I was, man, I remember watching that movie as a kid, like just Niagara Falls coming out of my eyes, right? Or something was in it, whatever. And so everybody was posting their saddest movie moment, and I had forgotten some good ones like when Mick dies at the end of Rocky II, or the girl at the bridge of Terabithia. But several people posted, and it probably bumped up, and it's like, really, my number one is in My Girl when Thomas J at the funeral. Let's go try, let's go tree climbing, Thomas J. Like, <laughs> if you don't cry during that movie, you don't love Jesus. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. So in this series, right, it's this idea that in a lot of movies, there are messages. And we're not here at all to preach Hollywood. So if you're a church person, don't get nervous. However, we believe that the same way Jesus used parables, Jesus used things that were very common in culture in his day to teach and leverage for spiritual principles, that we take movies because there are messages in them and we want to leverage what the kingdom message is, what God's message is in the movie. And so this week we're going to cover Toy Story 4. How many people have already maybe seen the movie Toy Story 4? So, right, this has been a long franchise, four movies now all together. Man, great movies. I got to go see it this past week. Obviously, if I'm going to take some time and talk about some major themes in it, it's a good idea for me to see the movie. And so I decided I need to go see it. And so I didn't really want to go alone because who wants to go to the movie theater alone? So I invited Pastor Chili along with me. And, you know, we're on our way out the door. And all of a sudden, it hit us that it might look a little strange. Two grown men in the middle of the afternoon going to see Toy Story. <laughs> So we took, uh, took his kids, not because we like them. It's, they were our cover story. Come on. That's right. At some point, his son Chase, uh, after the movie, said, said, Dad, to Pastor, Dad, I think Pastor Steve was crying. And I might have been. It's dark in there. You can't tell. I'm not admitting anything. But Toy Story, all of the movies, if you've seen any of them, basically the movies are about these toys that belong primarily through the movies to a little boy and then in this movie to a little girl. That these toys come alive, and they're there for their, their owner. And you find out that in all, certainly all three of the first movies, that it has the same running theme. And it's the, the theme that the movies are answering is like, why are we here? For these toys, like, why do they exist? And 
And those themes are bigger than the movie. It's like it answers the big question. It answers the universal question. Everybody asks whether you verbalize it or not. Like, why am I here? What's the point of this? I'm a speck on a planet in a galaxy that's a speck in a universe. What's it all about? And you find out, like, it starts answering questions like, we do have a purpose that we belong to our owner. We're here to love and be loved. We're, we're here to bring joy to other people. It's not just about us. And so really it's all of these big messages in these movies. And Toy Story 4, if you've not seen it, I'm not going to ruin any of the movie really. But if you've not seen it yet, it goes on and continues to answer the same question, why are we here? But it really digs a little deeper and it answers the question of what is our value? What value do I have? What value do you have? And it answers this question by introducing for the first time a brand new character in the Toy Story timeline, and his name is Forky, and here's a short clip of him. So Forky is this new character in the movie who's struggling with his identity, struggling about his value, right? Because Forky is made by the little girl in the movie, the main human character, and uh, she makes him at his first day of kindergarten with pieces left over in the trash, with a spork and some pipe cleaner and some bubble gum and a popsicle stick and makes this little guy. And here's the reality is Forky comes alive and all of a sudden he starts saying like, You know, I came from trash, so I belong in the trash. And like for the whole part of the movie, he keeps trying to get back in the trash bin. He keeps falling in Bonnie's trash can in her bedroom. He keeps running for the trash can at the trailer park. Like he keeps running, and Woody is there to rescue him because Woody is trying to let him know that he has value. And quickly, Forky becomes Bonnie's favorite toy. But he doesn't believe he can be anybody's favorite because he's trash. In fact, he makes that declaration over himself like, I'm trash. Here's the crazy thing is, and this is why we're tackling this movie, is that declaration, that phrase, that statement, I would say probably almost every person in this room, every one of you in Lawrenceburg, every one of you watching online, that we have said that and we have felt that about ourselves. I'm trash. Like the reason this movie resonates with us is not just because it's a fun kids movie, it's because it's this message that rings out in our hearts that like, like we don't feel like we measure up, like if we can just be honest today. Some of you in this room, right, you have some things going on with you physically. Maybe you have some body image issues and like you look in the mirror and you feel like like I'm just trash. 
I don't feel like I look like other people. I don't feel like I can measure up. Magazine covers, all they do is hurt your feelings. And sometimes it's where we're at in life. It's sometimes we struggle, we feel like trash because we're a divorcee. Some of you have lost babies and you feel like, what's wrong with me? I'm trash. See, that message is real. Maybe you've never said the words, but it resonates with all of us, how we look, how we perform, where we're at and what stage of life. Some of us are in debt or we, we struggle with depression or discouragement and we feel like I'm trash. What's wrong with me? I'm broken. And we just don't, we fail to see our value. Can I just tell you just honestly, like this is a message that resonates in my heart. Like, I can walk off this platform, and more times than not, I'll walk off this platform, do everything I can for months, literally in advance, to prepare for any message, hours in advance the week of, hours in the morning praying and preparing, and walk off this platform and think, that was trash. Gosh, that was horrible. I don't even know why these people show up and listen to that garbage, honestly. Find out someone gets mad. Thousands of people attend faith church, and I find out one person got mad and left. I'm like, man, I'm a horrible pastor. Gosh, I'm trash. I don't like the way I look. So let's just be honest. It's a message that we all wrestle with. That like what we go through, what we've been through, where we've been, where we're going. Like we just don't feel like we have value. In fact, let me ask you a question. If you were to hang a price tag on your neck, what, what would you put on it? What would be the value you would place on yourself? I know that's That's hard. It's a kind of an ethereal number. Probably most of us would wrestle to put much value. We are a price tag culture, aren't we? We love to go shopping and we go to any store, any outlet. We go to the car lot. And there's something about the price tag. When you walk up on something that has a price tag hanging, like you already know what you think it's worth. And when you see it, when you see the price tag, that helps you determine if you're buying it or not. Right? If you see a price tag that's where you're like, oh, baby, I'm getting two of them. Or you see something you're like, oh, heck no. Like, it's, just, it's overvalued. It's overpriced. Again, here's the question is, what, what price tag, what value would you hang on you? And it's not just the external stuff. It's not just the stuff people can see. Sometimes it's the stuff inside. My wife and I, we, she's been looking for several years for a different home for us to move into, wanted a little more space, and we finally found a house, and so we're in the transition of moving out, release a date. If anybody wants to show up and help move, I'm just throwing that out there. Man, nobody got on that bandwagon. <laughs> like, people literally looked the other way so I wouldn't make eye contact. But we're just moving down the road. So here's the thing, and some of you guys know this. When you buy a house, before you buy the house, you see a house, you like a house, you see the outside, you see the external stuff, and you put in an offer. Well, then a home inspector comes in and finds stuff you can't see. Well, based on what they find, all of a sudden the hidden stuff lowers the value. And some of you here on the outside, it looks like you have it all together. It looks like you have a high value. But come on, there's some stuff underneath. There's some stuff nobody knows about. There's some decisions you've made, some thoughts you think. And let's be honest, you just feel like it, it, it just continues to cut away at your value. We all feel at times like trash. And so, man, this little guy, Forky, man, sends this powerful message. But Jesus, he does it best. In fact, he introduces us to this idea. In, uh, in Luke chapter 15, we're going to check this out, is a story. And uh, it's called, uh, for years, it's been known as kind of the lost chapter because Jesus tells three compelling stories about things that are lost, that are found. I would rather change the name of this and really change it to something else. But I'm, check this out. Luke chapter, 
Luke chapter 15, if you have uh, your Bibles, you can turn here. Here's how it opens up. Luke chapter 15. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So think about the crowd that's coming to him. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. What Jesus is about to do is he's about to give us our price tag. This shouldn't be called the lost chapter. I want at least at Faith Church, we're going to call this the price tag chapter. Because what Jesus is about to do with three stories is to tell each and every one of us what our true value is. But I want you to notice how it opens up. So Jesus, he's not just talking to sinners, and I love it, not just like center, like regular sinners, but like notorious sinners. Boom, 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 boom. Like the worst of the worst, the bottom of the barrel. And the religious people, like the church people of the day, they hated about Jesus because they knew Jesus came to give us a clear picture of what God was like. And their thought is God would never hang out with people like that. So if you're here to represent God, you better get your act together because you're hanging out with the wrong crew. You're running in the wrong crowd. You're, you're, you're mixing with the wrong people. And so, Jesus, we don't like who you're running with because you're not just running with bad people. You're, like, you're connecting with them. You're, building, you're eating with them. Are you kidding? And so, Jesus, in order to let these people know what he thought and what he believed and what he knew God was like, he tells this story. So it's a scandalous indictment, right? I wish, I wish, <laughs> I wish that was what was said about me in this community. Right? Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. Man, I, I wish that was what we were known for, man, as it were, a friend of sinners. People hated that about Jesus, a friend of sinners. People that were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. Let me tell you why that's important, because in the culture we live today, most of us in this room who are watching online who call ourselves Christians, most of the people who like us are people who are just like us. We're not here to be liked by everybody who's just like us. We're here to impact and influence the people who are nothing like us. Come on. And Jesus, he did this really well. And so this scandalous indictment of Jesus running with the wrong crowd. They call Jesus on the carpet, and he gives an equally scandalous response. And he could just make statements. I mean, Jesus is a phenomenal teacher. He's a theologian for the ages. He could have just made a simple snap statement to shut down the religious. But he doesn't make a statement. He tells three beautiful, compelling stories that are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. And here's the story he tells, three of them. Luke chapter 15, verse 4, he says this. He says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? Come on, if someone has 100 sheep and one gets away, aren't you going to go looking for it? Yeah. Then he says this, Luke chapter 15, verse 8, the second one, he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room have ever lost something before? Right? All of us. Some of you, there's something lost right now. You don't know it, but we'll know it when you stand up at the end of service and you're like, some of you got some keys missing. You don't know it. You got some cell phones. People leave here, really, we get phone calls every week. People are like, we have car keys laying around. I think, how did they get home? When they got to the parking lot, didn't they realize their car keys were still here? Like, I don't know where they're at. I guess I'm just walking. <laughs> no, Jesus teaches this principle. This is so powerful. Here's what Jesus is teaching about a lost sheep that's found, about a lost coin that's found. He's, he's really teaching this right here, that we look for what is lost in spite of what is safe. 
When you have something that's lost, like you're, you don't care how much found stuff you have. All you care about is what's lost. If you lose your car keys, you never say, well, I still have my car. <laughs> Nobody ever has lost a cell phone and said, well, I still got like four chargers at home, so I'm good. <laughs> when you lose something, all of a sudden you forget about all of, the, all of the other safe, secure stuff, and you go looking for the thing that's lost. And what I want you to know is this is exactly what Jesus is teaching. In fact, one step further, we look for what is lost in spite of what is safe if we value it. If you lose something you don't really care about, you don't look for it. But if you really care about it, if you're really passionate about it, you will pursue it. Case in point, uh, last year, my wife, I'm kind of a cheapskate, confession. Come on, I need some cheapskates to help me out up here. I got money, but I got a wife that spends it, so it's her job. Like, literally, that's, it's in her job description. And so, um, so, like, up to last year, the most expensive pair of sunglasses I ever owned were the free ones we gave away at Dad Fest for a couple of years. That's it. Like, like, they blocked the sun as good as any other. Well, my wife, like, was tired of me being cheap and bought me some Ray-Bans. Oh, not the knockoffs, baby. Bought me some Ray-Bans. I had some swag. I was dripping. It's for the young crowd. And uh, so I'm wearing these things, loved them. And so we went out on a boat. And there's things, if you don't go on boats, you need to know about boats. And if someone doesn't tell you about boats, then you are a victim of the boats. And one of the things about boats is if you're on a boat, you have to secure your sunglasses. How many people know that? Yeah, yeah didn't nobody tell me that. Nobody <laughs> told me that. So I took my sunglasses off and hung them on a hook because I was going to, it was my turn to get on the thing and be pulled. And as soon as that boat took off, man, my sunglasses like right in the water. For half a second, I'm like, but I didn't care about them that much. So I didn't care those were really lost. I mean, they were more valuable than my other sunglasses, but they weren't valuable me enough for me to go searching for them. But let me tell you, if my wife fell in the water and went under, how many people know I would have went in the water? I wouldn't have said, well, let's see, I still got one, two, three kids, and my youth pastor's here. We're good. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have done a head count of what I had. I would have focused on what was lost. This is what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, and this is in any parable, and this is not new information. I've said this before, but anytime you read a parable of Jesus, you have to ask yourself, who am I in the story? What Jesus is trying to show is he's trying to show you you're someone in this story. God is someone in this story. And if you put yourself in the wrong place, you'll miss the point. We do it all the time. We go to movies because we, we leave thinking we're Rocky. We leave thinking we're one of the Avengers. You're not one of the Avengers. You're the nerd in the corner for a half a second when the camera spans working on a computer. That's you in the movie. You're not Thor, right? And so Jesus tells these three stories, and he wants us to know who we are in the story. Story of the shepherd. There's a shepherd, there's 99 sheep, and there's a lost sheep. Clearly, the shepherd is God, who the word declares he's a good shepherd. And he's a good shepherd. Do you know why he's a good shepherd? He doesn't just provide for the sheep that are secure. He goes looking for the one who's lost. The lost sheep are the people in this room who are far from God, who've run from God, who hate church, who are disillusioned by religion, who is hurt by a pastor. And if you're here and that's you, I want you to know that God is passionately pursuing you. And he will never give up until he finds you. But don't forget about the 99. Who's the 99? The 99 are the secure church people that don't even realize one of their own is missing. They're so busy feeding. Bah. Like all they care is like most of us are here, so I think we're good. I never want to be a part of the church where we're the 99 and we're secure that most of us are here. I always want to be a church that looks around and realizes there's some of the 90,000 people that live in this community that aren't here, and we're here for a mission, not to feed the 99 just, but to chase the one that's lost. Come on.
so I just want you to know part of our mission here is we're just not about us. We do a lot of stuff that's not for you. We do a lot of stuff that's for the people we're trying to reach. I don't like that song, Pastor. Why we do that? Well, the song's not for you. Songs for the people we're trying to reach. Why do we do secular songs? Well, it's not for us. We're here like sing, pursue Jesus and worship. We do secular songs for people we're trying to reach. You know, you know, you know why we do some of the stuff we do? Because we're here to reach lost people because that's what God is about, reaching lost people. And I'm just telling you, man, that's my heart. So you just need to know this, that, that when, when I become a we, it's no longer about me. When you become a part of this family, it's no longer about you. It's about, it's about us reaching lost people because that's what God was about. Is anybody here thankful to be a part of something that's not just about us? And so God is a good shepherd pursuing the one, leaving the 99 to go find the one. Second story is this woman, and it's really cool, and you can't miss this. It's, it's a picture. He says there's a woman who has 10 coins. She's in a house. She has 10 coins, and one of the coins is gone. And Jesus says this, this woman sweeps the house, which is another way of saying she turns it upside down. Anybody here ever like rip a drawer out and dump it out trying to find something? That's a picture of this woman. And you ask, who's, who's the coin, the one coin? I believe with all of my heart, the coin he's talking about is the religious people. You can be in the house and still be lost. You, there are people who are just as lost sitting in this room today as people that will never come to this room. Because showing up into a room doesn't make you a Christian. Showing up into a church doesn't make you a believer. And Jesus is saying to the religious people, listen, you think you're good and they're bad. He's saying you can be in the house and still be lost. But here's a beautiful thing. God is still passionately pursuing people. I love it. He's looking for the coin. He's turning the house upside down. As a church, we try to do some of the things like this series. Some of you are new here. I want you to know we don't always do what we do for weekends like this and for series like this, but we're always working hard. We're always going the extra mile. We're always being extra creative. We're always spending extra money. We're always invest investing extra resources. Why? We're willing to turn this place upside down to reach one person. Come on, church. That's really important. There's a lot of churches that are struggling and about to shut their doors. You know why? Because they're about the 99 and they're about the, they're about the nine. God wants us to be a church who's about the one that's lost. And so God is a good shepherd pursuing the one. God is a woman who's seeking the lost coin. And then he goes on and he makes a point because two stories is not enough. He wants to give us a third story. And here's the a, here's a story. He says this, Luke 15, very, very well-known story, probably one of the best known that Jesus taught. It's a story. It's called the prodigal son. That's how it's known. And it says, to illustrate the point further, like if you've not got it yet, who God is and what God thinks about people that don't understand their value, people that are cast off, people that are broken, people that society has discarded, people that even look like they have it together, but at night lay in bed saying, I'm trash. I'm not good enough, smart enough. I don't look good enough. I don't have enough money. I don't work at the right place, drive the right car, live in the right house, married to the right person. Something is wrong with me. Jesus says, in case you've not got the point yet, what God thinks about you, he tells one more story. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to Nash Vegas. And there wasted all of his money in wild living. I don't know how you'd term wild living in, in my mind, and I'm not saying this is right. 
Like, this guy is out. Man, he is partying hard 24-7. Like, he just wakes up enough to, like, get some liquid in him so the hangover isn't so bad, and he goes right back to it. He's pushing most of his money through his veins. He's moving from prostitute house to brothel house. Man, he is partying hard, and he spends all of his money. And they're wasted all his money in wild living. And about this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. You know how hungry you have to be to want to eat the pig food you're feeding pigs? And when he finally came to his senses, everybody say, come to your senses. Man, I'm just telling you, it's never too late for anybody. It's never too late for you. It's never too late for people you know. Some of you in this room were praying for people like, why can't they see it? Why don't they know what they're doing to themselves? Like, why aren't they in that situation? The Bible says this young prodigal, he came to himself. I'm praying for some of you in this room, and I'm praying with you for people that aren't in this room, that they will come to their senses, that they'll wake up to their sin, that they'll wake up to their choices, and they will come back to a God who's never given up on them. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home... Even hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Like this whole story, I just want to term it for a few minutes left today, kind of the prodigal perspective. The prodigal perspective is this. As you start reading this story, at least for me, As soon as Jesus tells about this young boy that's in his dad's house, basically he goes to his dad and says this, Dad, I would like for you to act dead so I can have my inheritance early. And he leaves his dad's house and goes spending the money. Like when when I hear that, immediately I know where the story is going. Like Jesus could have quit talking and I knew where the story went. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had somebody start telling you a story about their son or their daughter or in like they don't even need to finish the story like you're already two steps ahead of them? How do you know what I'm talking about? Like... You know, someone will tell you like something like this. They'll say, yeah, my, my son started running with the wrong crowd. Like, you don't even need to finish the story. I already know where the story goes. Or my daughter started dating this guy, and I think he's trouble. Like, you already know where the story is going to go because you've heard the first part. That's the prodigal perspective. Everybody in this room needs, you need to read the Bible. Here's why. It's because the Bible gifts us with the beauty of objectivity. We're incredibly subjective people, which means it's very easy to see everybody else's issues, but it's hard to see ours. Oh, come on. Anybody here ever drive down the road and think you're a perfect driver and nobody else knows what in the world they're doing? Come on, this cat, the light turned green like, what, 15 minutes ago, hit, move, get out the way, move, go. This guy's driving too slow. This guy's driving too fast. This guy won't get out of the fast food lane. Come on. Anybody here feel like nobody else knows what they're doing on the road? Oh, come on. That's that's that subjectivity. You think you know how to drive and nobody else does. It's very hard to see our own issues in the mirror because we're very, we're very subjective. And when you get objective, that's what happens when you see other people's issues. It's very easy to see where other people are dropping the ball, how they're raising their kids, what they're doing with their money their bad attitude, their behavior. And so what happens is is when you read the Bible, it gives us the gift 
of objectivity because we start reading about the prodigal son and we start seeing decisions he makes to get out of the father's house. Listen, I could have already told you it's about to go bad because anytime you get out of the father's house, anytime you intentionally remove yourself from God's presence, anytime you intentionally break your relationship with God, it's always going to end bad for you. Come on, I wish y'all would hear me. Listen, there is nothing good to come from people that separate themselves from a God who loves them. It's just, it's just not. And so as soon as this story starts going, I can see objectively, I can see objectively where it's going. Here's the point is, God says, yeah, but you're the prodigal. And we don't see ourselves making bad decisions, removing ourselves from God's presence. That's why sometimes we need friends in our life. We need a friend in our life who's willing to be objective, who's willing to tell us truth. Friends don't tell you what you want to hear. True friends tell you what you need to hear. True friends tell you you need to get away from that clown. True friends tell you you need to stay in school. True friends say you need to walk away from that. True friends get in our chili and tell us the truth. Objectivity. It's the prodigal perspective. And so it starts telling us this story. And here's the crazy thing. Watch. As the story unfolds, you see right where it's going, but the prodigal lines up perfect with little Forky. Modern-day Forky, 2,000-year-old prodigal son. Here's the story. It's really simple, and this is for you if you're taking notes. If you came from trash or keep returning to trash, it doesn't make you trash. Like some of you in this room, you, you have all kinds of stories about where you were raised, where you came from, what happened to you as a kid. Some of you were molested and taken advantage of and hurt. Some of you got all kinds of garbage stories and pain in your background, and you feel like, man, I don't have any value. I don't have any purpose. And some of you, man, it's not really just what's happened in your past. Some of you keep going back to the same issue. Come on, the word says like a dog returning to his vomit. Some of us in this room, including me, sometimes we keep going back to the same bad habit. We keep returning to the same. Is there anybody here that finds himself keep going back to the bad habit? Help me so I don't think like I'm up here alone. But here's what I'm telling you. Listen, this is the point of the three stories, specifically the prodigal. Here's a son who is a son in the father's house who leaves as a son from the father's house and he goes out and gets in the garbage. See, what we don't understand today in our modern culture is the worst place a Jewish boy could end up. Not just touching pig, he is feeding pigs. It made them ceremonially unclean. It made them outcasts in society. This kid, see, for us, we're like, this kid just ran away from home and like had a little bit of fun and ended up eating some food I wouldn't eat. What they heard was like, oh, he did what? Oh, he can never go home. And see, some of you, the reason you place such a low value on yourself, it's not just what other people think of you. It's like, God, you can never accept me. I've been here. I've done this. I made that decision. God, you'll never accept me. And I just want you to know something, that sin doesn't change your position, but it can change your possession. You can still be a son but you can never have all that God has for you. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. We can't have full life, living life our way. We can't experience God's best doing life our way. And man, the prodigal son runs off doing his own thing. But here's the thing, man, right? It's this, it's this huge idea as the son's out there. Again, think about the prodigal perspective. He decides at the end of where we started reading, he said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go home and at least maybe dad will hire me as a servant. If you were to write the end of that story, so here's a kid, totally turned his back on dad, totally disrespected the family name, wasted the family money, and the dad is God. 
and the kids going home, how would you end that story? See, we see it as a perfect platform for judgment. We see that story that if it ended there, we see it as a perfect platform. Like God is just going to ignore him. God's going to shut him out. God's going to like meet him at the door and not even answer, like open the little door and be like, yeah, I hate you. You blew it. Get away from me. Because our perspective often underestimates how incredible and endless God's love for us is. So let's get God's perspective, because Jesus tells us what God thinks. So here's this kid. He's blown it. He's made every bad decision possible. He's totally devalued himself. He thinks he has no value. The best value he can ever be to his dad is as a servant. And he comes home. He gets to his dad. In verse 24, if you don't have your Bible, you need to go home and get your Bible. You need to open it up to Luke 15, and you need to underline verse 24, because this is what God's perspective of is of you. This is his price tag on you. He sees when you were broken, when you were away from him, when you you decide to come home, he says this, so the party began. I'm telling you, the DJ kicked in the music, the basses started thumping, and the, all the streamers started pouring out of the ceiling, balloons started coming down. Why? Because the platform is not of God's judgment. The platform of our brokenness is a platform of God's grace. It's where God can show up. Where we see a problem, God sees a party. He says, listen, that's my son and he's home. That's my daughter and she's home. Listen to me. You may not see your value. Other people may not see your value, but you have inherent value that can never be compromised in spite of the trash you've been to or the trash you go to. You are valuable. And this party theme, it, like it just keeps up. I love it. In fact, you can read this later. We don't have time to get into all this, but the older son who's in this story, and you need to read about him. The older son is mad that dad's throwing the younger son a party which is the picture of church people that's mad about their church reaching lost people. That's what it's a picture of. Why does don't, I think they should change first before we should let them up in here. I think they need to get their act together first before they come to our church. Newsflash, this ain't your church, it's his church. People are like, I am never coming back here again. <laughs> I'm just telling you. This is, this is the picture Jesus is painting. And it goes over and over again. Remember the other two stories? So the prodigal son comes home, he throws a party. The party's so big. This is awesome. The party is so big when the older son, the Bible says he comes out of the field, he's out there working. When he, as he approaches the house, the Bible says, Jesus says that he can hear the dancing. You know how loud you got to dance to hear dancing? I mean, they're doing like some Irish river dance or something, but it's a party. He says the same thing about the lost sheep. Some of you have wandered away from God, and you're lost. And maybe the church forgot about you, the 99 that are comfortable in the wilderness. And maybe you think the shepherd's forgotten about you, but he hasn't. He's passionately pursuing you. And when he finds you, Luke 15, 7, come on, everybody say party. Come on, you got to say it with some party. Woo! In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The coin, you know what happens when they find the coin. Come on, say it. Party. 
Luke 15, 10, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. There's not just parties on the planet. There's parties in heaven. You may say, I'm worth looking for. God thinks so. Do I have value? God thinks so. You might hang a buy one, get one free tag on you. Might be, you might hang a going out of business sale tag on you. But God says, you have an inherent and eternal value. I want you to think about this for a second. No matter who you are, your color, race, creed, religion, it doesn't matter. You are made in God's image. You are made for his purpose. You are saved by his grace. You are filled with his spirit. You have a place in his body. Every day you wake up to new mercy that's his. That's who you are. And so for all the voices that I wrestle with, I walk away sometimes thinking, man, that's, I'm trash, but I'm still God's kid. Man, I blew it as a parent. I'm still God's kid. I blew it as a husband. I'm still God's kid. My value is not from you. It's not from my preaching. It's not from my parenting. It's not from anything. It's not from my bank account. It's not from what I drive. It's not from what I wear. My value, your value, our value is from one who's determined our value. See, what determines the value of something? I already told you. What determines the value of something is what someone is willing to do, the energy that they're willing to invest, the sacrifice they're willing to make to find it. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says you are so valuable that a shepherd leaves the 99 to go to the one, forgets about the nine coins that are secure and looks for the one. Doesn't focus on the one son that's still home, but focuses on the son that's ran away. How much does God love you? He's still pursuing you today. Yes, God calls us to repent. Make no mistake about it. But you are welcome. What energy, what investment did God make to find us? What value do we have in his eyes? We are worth the price of his son. See, there are a couple scriptures that tell us our value. One that says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, come on. That means when you were the biggest mess you could ever make of life, God still loved you and sent his son to die for you. He didn't wait for you to get it together, to help get you together. He sent his son to save you right where you were. Then there's things like this, the most, probably most well-known scripture. For God so loved the world. Come on. If you live on this planet, raise your hand. Come on. For God so loved the world. That's the people of planet Earth. That's humanity. That's all of us. For God so loved the world. Here's the beauty of that verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The most beautiful picture, the most beautiful word in all that to me is the word so. Oh, come on. Y'all know the difference, right? There's the people you love and there's people you so love. Some of you got some kids. When you have a little kid, you don't just love kids. You so love them. Like you walk in the room at night when they're sleeping and just watch them. How do you know what I'm talking about? Like when your kid, four years old, plays his first soccer game, doesn't even know what he's doing, accidentally runs in the right direction and accidentally bumps his foot on the ball and it goes in the net. You run down the sideline with your shirt off swinging it. Woo! Why? Because you so love him. God so loves you. We are sinful and we need a savior because we cannot save ourselves. But our value is not in our sin. Our value is in the price of the savior. 
You are not trash in the eyes of your creator in spite of what you look like, what you've done, what you've thought, where you've been, and who you are. You are treasure. How many people in this room would just be honest enough? I already told you, man, I get raw and real. How many people would be honest enough to say that there's times you feel like you don't measure up, that your value's low, and you feel like trash? I want to pray for you that you would have a moment like the prodigal, that you would come to yourself. Like you would just awaken to a reality of how the Father sees you. And so, Lord, I pray over every person in this room, every person online, every person in Lawrenceburg. Father, we wrestle with the big question, what value are we? And immediately we look to who we are and what we've done, and we're looking the wrong place. It's not about us. It's the value you've placed on us. Again, we are your creation made in your image, and you sent your son to save us. And so, Lord, I pray every person in this room, God, I pray we would come to ourselves. We would awaken to an inherent value we have that's been given to us by you. Lord, I rebuke every spirit of darkness that would rest on people and bring depression and anxiety and fear and doubt and self-hate and body image issues. I pray the light of the truth and of the gospel would impact and awaken every heart. Jesus, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. In Jesus' name. Listen, just for another moment, if you're here, again, I'm just going to be honest, it starts. A coin can do nothing to find itself. A lost sheep can never find the shepherd on its own. The prodigal is a little different. He has to come home, but again, at the end of the day, you can't save yourself, you can't fix yourself, but you have to make a choice to go back to the Father. If you're here and you've never turned to God, I want you to know he's not waiting to rebuke you and be mad at you and, and talk about all the mess you've got yourself into. He is waiting to throw a party by you coming home, by just saying simply, God, I, I messed up. Will you forgive me? If you're here and you've never asked God for his grace, you've never opened up your heart to his love, it just comes just by simple faith of turning to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll move on every life. I pray no person would walk out of this place without embracing and accepting your love for them. If you're here and you've never said yes to God's grace, you've never recognized God loved you, and today you want to open up your heart to his grace. You want to make sure you leave belonging to him. Then I want to pray for you. Maybe you grew up, man, following Christ, but now you've been in the house, but you're lost. You're not serving God. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ, or you want to give your life back to Christ, I want you to lift a hand real high. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Come on. Come on. That's why God brought you here. He didn't come bring you here just for you to hear a message. He came for you to be transformed, for your life to be made new. Come on. If that's you, lift a hand real high. Come on. Say, here I am, Jesus. I need your grace. I need your love. You can pray exactly what the prodigal son prayed. Lord, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've sinned against you, Lord, forgive me. If you'll just pray, God, forgive me. I messed up. Forgive me. He will hear that prayer, and he will rescue you right where you are. And so, Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, we confess our sin, and we ask you to save us. 
Make us your children. And Lord, we commit from this day forward to follow you as you give us strength to do so. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Can we honor the Lord today? Come on, all over this place. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week for week three.